everybody, to another episode of that Pirates podcast that just doesn't have a name yet. I did see recommendations this time in the comments section. Did you, did you, what were your thoughts on the recommendations, Alex? Uh, you know what? We're going to take it one day at a time. We're going to see what they have to offer for the rest of the week. I was going to say the recommendations better than the Pittsburgh Pirates bullpen at this point of the season. Yeah, that wasn't uh, that wasn't too good Monday night. And I guess we should address the elephant in the room on why we sound so good. We both were at the game. Yes, we are coming to you live right outside of left field here at uh, Progressive Park. We're right in between the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse is to our left. Progressive Field is to our right. We are sitting in the uh, area where... I don't know if you've ever, if you watched the 2016 World Series, this is where they had the big screen TV when Rajay Davis hit the home run off Araldis Chapman to tie the game in the eighth inning. This is where the watch party was. So we're in the left field district right now coming to you live. Well, you're not listening to us live, but we're recording it in person together. When's the last time we've been together in person, Alex? Oh, man, it's it's been a minute. I think, was it over Christmas break? Yeah, it was, it was when we went to uh, the casino. We watched Ohio State Clemson, I believe, was the last time we hung out. So, I think I think that actually was it. All right. Well, we're back together now. Uh, we sat socially distanced in the press box. Uh, I was here to cover the Indians. Alex was here to cover the Pirates, and it was an interesting game. It was an interesting game. Tribe wins eleven to seven, eight combined home runs, and. Both starters look solid. Bullpens, different story. Alex, give me your immediate takeaways. I mean, the big takeaway, I think, was, oh, my God, Cole Tucker in, in center field. That was a heck of a catch. I, I know we uh, I know we talked about it on the podcast yesterday about, you know, Cole actually getting a look in right and center. And I, I'll admit, I was a little skeptical. Like, man, he's got to play all three. That's... That's bold, and what's he do? Oh, he just plays a little right field, makes a couple good fundamental plays, and then goes to center and makes the highlight real play. So that was interesting. Another thing was uh, Trevor Williams and actually using that curveball, which he and Marine were able to work on in person in Arizona since both of them were in the Phoenix area. He said he felt a lot more confident about it, something he wanted to use. I know six times at 55 pitches isn't exactly setting the world on fire, but that's significant for someone who threw it like one percent of the time last year and it looked good I mean he got a couple called strikes on it you mentioned Trevor Williams one thing that I was impressed by the the first at bat of the game that Trevor first at bat at the bottom of the first inning uh I forget the player's name second baseman for the Indians okay yeah Hernandez 12 pitch at bat then gets a single and for Trevor to get out of the first inning with less than 25 pitches after having a 12-pitch at bat against the first guy, and the next three hitters he faced were Jose Ramirez, Francisco Lindor, and Framil Reyes. That's pretty impressive. I, I, I thought the way that he stayed composed there, I mean, because it, it would have been very easy for him to get in a funk there, and he wasn't going long to begin with, so he could have tried to overcompensate after that at bat, but I thought he stayed composed there and handled himself well. He was the only pitcher that you could say that about. Let's get into the uh, struggling bullpen. Two scrimmages so far, and two times the the bullpen's blown a lead. And, I, I mean, I think we just got to start with the worst performance, which was Richard Rodriguez. What what went wrong, Alex? 
I mean, this is the same thing we were talking about a bit with Kyle Crick, but Crick, it was the slider that the velocity was down. In this case, the fastball was, you know, significantly down, like three miles per hour compared to what it normally is, two and a half, three miles. And that is significant for someone who is only throwing like 93 in general, which is barely average. And whenever you consider he's a right-handed reliever, that's not exactly great. So that wasn't good. He was missing his spots. Richard Rodriguez feasts in that high outside corner against right-handed batters. All right, so to his glove side. That's where he feasts with the fastball. He wasn't hitting that zone. The slider hung, and that's why Francisco Lindor hit it a mile. I mean, that was that was an impressive shot. Yeah, it wasn't look it it didn't look good in general. I mean, that's it's concerning that the fastball velocity is down. He's still building up. It's easier for starting pitchers to be ready than it is for bullpen arms early on. And, you know, he's going in the fifth inning, doesn't have the usual adrenaline. I could see why he lost a little velocity, but that's concerning if that's going to be, you know, where he sits all year. And then you look around, the rest of the bullpen wasn't much better. Like we said, four home runs allowed. Nice to see Jordan Luplo still exists. That's that's your guy, uh, and he, he hit one a country mile as well, it seemed. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's something we've already talked about this week, is who's going to get outs in the later innings. And we've seen Birdie, we've seen Crick, we've seen Rich Rod. Those are the projected top three, and every single one of them looks sloppy in these last two games. I understand it's a small sample size, but like we said earlier... This whole season's a small sample size. One bad outing could change the trajectory of the entire year, a division race, a pennant race, if you will. So it is a little concerning to see all of this stuff. What is a little more reassuring is the offense, Alex. Uh, Four home runs for the Buccos this evening. Uh, Josh Bell gets one. Colin Moran, your boy out in right field, continues to swing a hot bat. And uh, who hit the fourth one? Oh, Evans. That's right. Let's just talk about that. Can you provide, as someone who's covered the team at spring training, what's going on with this guy? Is he going to make the team? Oh, yeah. I mean, probably in that utility role. Shelton has had nothing but good things to say about him this entire time in summer camp, even to the point that he went on the radio and said, like, yeah, he could be an option for DH, which was – Okay, maybe pump the brakes a little bit. If he's getting in the lineup, you know, put Colin Moran at DH and, you know, put Phillip Evans at third base. But, yeah, this is a guy who he took his lumps last year. He didn't make the major leagues. And, you know, it's the type of guy that you bring into spring training, see what happens. The world kind of ended for a bit, and now the roster ex- rosters are expanding, and this is a chance for someone like Phillip Evans that, you know what, Here's I got one more shot in the major leagues. And you know what, he's looked just flat-out good in, in summer camp. And even spring training, his first swing in spring training was taking Trevor Williams deep in the first live BP. So that was, that was you know, okay, you know, got to pay attention to this guy. It's not just, you know, a triple-A scrub. Uh, not the best athletic play he made in right field, but, you know, he's trying to learn that along with Cole Tucker, trying to add a little depth into the system there. He's got a good frame for a hitter. Yeah, I mean, maybe they have, you know, an, another quality backup in the mix here. You mentioned it already, and you just hinted at it again. 
I think we can still talk about it more because it was probably the highlight of the night for the team in black and gold, and that was Cole Tucker's playing center field, a guy who, as of the moment we're recording this, on this day, Monday, July 20th, 2020, Cole Tucker has approximately one game of outfield experience. Not even, because he didn't play a full nine innings. He played in right field, like you said, first inning in center field, and he makes one of the best catches we're probably going to see a Pirates player make this season. I saw... uh, DK tweeted out the highlight. You can check that out on his Twitter page. I'm sure it'll be all over the site. That, that, that's my story. I mean, whenever people saw it whenever they woke up, Cole Tucker making that play. That that was the type of play that, you know, I, I was DMing with DK, you know, what the game plan was for the day. He made that play. It's like, well, throw everything out the window. I got to talk about this play. Uh, he started playing the outfield again like it drills a couple days ago. It's outstanding. And before that, it was like on the ball field whenever he was like 14 15 playing sandlot this is completely new to him and he looked natural he knew the wall it wasn't the most direct route but he was aware of the wall he knew you know how to preserve the body while doing that like little things like that that's something that's just pure instinct that's pure athleticism he looked natural out there he really did and it's just it's just funny it's Doing this podcast, it gives me an excuse to get back in the mix in uh, Pirates Twitter a little bit, which can be a very, very polarizing place with uh, divided topics. And I was seeing tweets when he went out to right field. I was seeing tweets along the lines of, this guy is an above-average defensive player. That's what he's best at. And you make him a you you take him from shortstop and put him at right field, the most useless defensive spot on the on the diamond. And then the next inning, he's making that catch in center field, saying this guy should play in center field every inning for the Pittsburgh Pirates until his contract's up and the Yankees take him from us. Yeah, that was uh, that was something. But no, I'm going to disagree. And on the right field is the least important. It, 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 I agree. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 first base. Did you ever read the book, uh, The Only Rule Is It Has to Work? It, about independent ball in the low levels, and they go to a workout where they're going to draft a bunch of these you know, guys trying to get into independent ball. They look at the outfielders, and you know, they tell them, like, don't bother with the guys in left field. It's like, Why? It's like, well, they either think they have the range to play center field or the arm to play right field. <laughs> they're not going to left. But, yeah, I mean, Cole Tecker. Has the arm to play right field and has the play, range to play center field. That those were, the, I'm almost as impressed. I mean, the catch by far, I am the most impressed. But I am almost as impressed. Coming in cold in right field, didn't get to watch a pitch. Immediately, there's a line drive down the line, and he's able to cut it off to hold Hernandez to a single. That's a small play, but I have seen people. The Pirates trot out right fielders who have no business playing right field, and that goes into the corner, and that's a double or a triple. That's a double or triple of John Jaso is in right field, is basically what I'm saying. Maybe not Osuna because he has at least some experience, but early on Osuna, that, that's, a, that's a double. That was, again, good natural instincts. Final question for this half of the show. Combined with spring training in these scrimmages, they have less than five wins. Is that correct? Three. Three wins. I wanted to make sure that was the right number. I know you're not—I know winning isn't necessarily the goal 
in a scrimmage or in spring training. It's about development. It's about getting the right guys' reps. That has to be concerning, though. Just three victories out of 20-plus attempts. Yeah, yeah, they'd rather be, what is it, like 17-3-3 instead, but yeah. The real thing to take away from this game is now that Cleveland has won two out of the three, they are the rightful owners of Lonnie Chisenhall. They have won the Lonnie Chisenhall Bowl. So, congratulations, Cleveland. I have nothing to add on that. We're going to take a quick break. You can hear from our sponsors, and then we're going to take a deep dive into what the catching position will look like this year for the Pittsburgh Pirates. We talked about the pitchers on Monday. Today is the catching staff. And, Alex, in numbers, there's just not a lot to talk about. Because there's just not a lot of depth at this position for the Pittsburgh Pirates. It was a major area of concern last season. The two main guys coming into last season are both gone. And now we have some one familiar face, one new face, and one face we really didn't even get to know. Alex, tell me about the Pittsburgh Pirates catching staff. Yeah, I mean, Jacob Stallings, he's going to be leading the show this year. He's... You know what you're going to get. He He's not going to set the world on fire for a hitter. I don't think he's this black hole that a lot of people you know, make him out to be. He's an average hitting catcher which with a batted ball profile to back it up, which is fine in the grand scheme of things whenever you can add that level of defense on top of it. I mean, this guy, I remember talking to Jordan uh, Comedina down in Bradenton. And about a story I was writing about how all the catchers are basically copying the program that Jordan and Jacob came up with on how to frame pitches. You know, like, let's get everyone in the system doing this. This works so unbelievably well. And Jordan said, you know, if he can play a whole season, he's going to compete for a gold glove. Which, you know, with a shortened season, and the gold glove is partially a popularity contest, but there is a good chunk of it that's, you know, data-driven. That's why Adam Frazier was a gold glove nominee last year. Hmm. So, you know, maybe Jacob Stallings is in the mix for a golden glove this year. And I, I mean that genuinely. I think he is one of the best pitch framers in baseball. Uh, he blocks pitches very well. The guy's rock solid. And like, honestly, if the Pittsburgh Pirates do shock the world, and they do actually compete I think Josh Bell and Brian Reynolds and Kevin Newman those guys are going to be the people that jump off the page but if you want to talk about valuable he'd be possibly the Pirates most valuable player and coming into this season behind him was Luke Maley but he is no more a broken finger gets surgery out 10 to 12 weeks Maybe we see him if it's some Bucktober action. But as of right now, the plan is no more Luke Maley. And the Pirates skipper talked a little bit about his injury after their first scrimmage on Saturday night. Let's take a listen on what he had to say about that. Well, you know, we still have Murph here, which is good. We feel very strong about that. We brought both those guys in in this offseason. They can both really catch. I mean, anytime you lose catching depth, it affects you. And it's really unfortunate for Luke because I think as he had told you guys, he felt like he was in one of the better spots he had been in his career swinging the bat, which was very evident in terms of how we looked during uh, during our inter-squad games. Anytime you lose catching depth, it, it dings you a little bit. But I'm really happy that we have Murphy here 
you know, to be able to uh, to be able to catch. What's it going to be like to get that third catcher uh, acclimated with this team, whether it's Christian or Susek, because they've been in Altoona this, this time. Right. I I think it would be different if it was if it was someone we were bringing in from the outside. But both guys were with us in spring training. Both of them have knowledge of our of our pitchers and. One of the things that we've done with that Altoona group is Oscar's conversations down there with their pitching group and, and Cheryl's with, with Espo. It, we're kind of, everything we're doing here, we're kind of showing them there. So that, that doesn't really concern me a ton. So some interesting thoughts and a lot of confidence in the guys they have behind him, Alex. And the main guy they have is John Ryan Murphy. Is that right? Yeah, or Germ for sure. Or Germ, Germ. So tell me about Germ from what you noticed from him covering the practices at PNC Park and camp and covering spring training. Man, his usage or his workload at, in summer camp just got dialed up to 11, you know, these last couple of days now that Maley's out because it was pretty clear, even though it was never official and they were still in a competition, Luke Maley was going to be the backup and Murphy was going to be uh, the, the travel squad. You know, the taxi squad guy to be around. So you want him to be familiar with everyone. You know, he caught everyone in camp. But you want the reps to go to Stallings. You want the reps to go to Maley. That completely was just thrown off scale today. And that's why you saw Murphy, you know, starting this game instead of Jacob Stallings. Because he needed to catch Trevor Williams. He still needs to learn how those breaking pitches work, especially with Trevor with that new curveball again. I mean, that's a new way that pitch is going to break. He needs to see how that looks. He did a pretty good job catching it today. I mean, four cold strikes out of six. That's not bad. Here's a guy cut from the same cloth as Maley. The offense, he's going to hit for a really bad average. He doesn't have a lot of OBP. He's got a decent amount of pop for a catcher, though. Like, if you gave him a full season worth of starts, he'd probably hit about 15, maybe 20. Really? Yeah. But he, it, the trade-off is the— uh, He hit, like, 200. No, he hit, like, 170, and the OBP would be, like, 220. So, like, oh, 400-something lugging percentage. That's pretty good for a catcher. Oh, no, no, not worth it. So, But it's the defense. It's the fact that he can frame pitches— the blocking is going to be interesting because we've seen some pass balls, some balls trickle away from him early on, you know, trying to get a feel for everyone's breaking stuff still. So that's a big part of his game. That's something that he's going to have to feel. He's going to have to do that because so much of this pitching staff is talking about, you know, more curveballs, more sliders, especially tunneling, you know, pitches up in the zone. So you can't really get set the way like Francisco Cervelli could have done in like 2015 where he was just down in the zone the entire day. That's what he's going to be doing. He just pump, just punishing that bottom edge of the zone. He's going to be moving the glove around. He's going to have to see a lot of different break, get accommodated with a lot of these new pitchers. He's got a lot of work to get done early on, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of stallings early on in the year just so Murphy can, you know, get that extra bullpen with the other guys. I guess my question for you, Alex, would be, and I don't know how you can answer this because you haven't been alive to watch one, how useful is a backup catcher in a 60-game season? When it's a sprint like this, I understand that catching a – a, a ball, you know, three days in a row, sometimes even more, that's going to take a toll on your legs, and you're not going to be, and, and even mentally, you know, it, it's, it, it'll wear you out, and you need a day off here or there, but 
the approach is going to be different as far as lineups go during this season. How many games do you expect a catcher not named Jacob Stallings, if he remains healthy, of course, yeah. to, to start? It, will it be more than 10? I mean, it, it's there are so many different factors for this. Like, Jacob Stallings has never been, like, the true-cut starting catcher at any step in the majors where he, he caught, like, 120 games, you know, in the farm system. He was always with Elias Diaz or there was someone else, you know, in the mix. So, in that regard, it's like, well, can he handle, like, a true, hey, we need you to start four out of five games, you know, every four out of five can he handle that? Can he handle that because the season is shorter and they're not going to have any like West Coast trips, so there's less mileage put on. There are fewer road trips to worry about. You know, get to spend a little more time in Pittsburgh in that regard. There are a lot of factors in this, but if I had to take a true shot in the dark, I would think it'd be around 20, maybe a little less for Murphy. I, I feel like stalling starting about two out of every three games, maybe a little more, is a realistic expectation of what to, you know, of what he could bring over the course of a season. Maybe if the Pirates are competing at the end, he he catches more often. If they're not, maybe they really, you know, lighten up on a bit and, you know, give it to Murphy or if they find another catcher somehow, some way. So, <laughs> which... Yeah, I mean, there is Christian Kelly. If I mean, it looks like Andrew Susek is going to be the taxi squad catcher. That's why he was in Cleveland. You know, he's going to be the guy palling around because you need to have a catcher to have the full three spots. So it's really get anyone who has catcher's gear over, you know, just so you don't throw that spot away. But maybe they go to Christian Kelly just to give a younger guy a look at the end of the year if they're really out of it. But I, I'm not, you know, too optimistic about that. That was my next question for you. Uh, between Susak and Kelly, what does either one of them bring to the table? Uh, and are any or either of those guys even MLB quality players right now? I mean, Andrew Susak played in AAA for the Royals last year, so that that more or less answers that question with him. I mean, he's he's what he is. He's a veteran veteran journeyman backup. He's the guy who hangs around in AAA, and if someone gets hurt, you know, you either call him up or you get traded for cash considerations. I, I've seen a movie about that guy. It's pretty good. It is pretty good. For the player to be named later? Yeah. Yeah. He talks to a whole lot of meat in that movie. Yeah, sure <laughs> uh, as for Kelly, here's a guy who maybe can be... I think his ceiling would be, you know, being cut from the same cloth as Jacob Stallings. You know, the good defensive catcher. He would have to hit more. Stallings hits more. Stallings hit more in AAA than this guy did. As we round up the catchers, give me some, and again, this is hard, but you know what? I'm done saying that. It is hard. Life's hard. We're in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> There's protests every day. Our pets' heads are falling off. It's, it's, it's a hard world we live in. Cats living together. <laughs> so I'm done saying this is difficult because the reality is nothing's easy about 2020. So, Alex, give me a rough estimate on what, we can expect numbers-wise from the catcher position. If, if it was going to be 25 home runs in one 162-game season, do we expect more than 12 home runs? What's an average OPS we can look at? Stuff like that. I think they will combine 
for about five or six home runs and put him down for 25 to 30 RBIs. Uh, I would say Stallings has an OPS with an arm's length of 700. Murphy probably 650, but again, a lot of that as slugging, so those two are not created equal because a lot of Stallings would be higher OBP and less slugging. Uh, and once you take their pitch framing, their factor, factor in the blocking, all the defenses they can bring to the team, I think over a 60-game season, somewhere around one-and-a-half war is not outlandish, somewhere in the 1 to 1.5 range. He's not the best in the business for nothing, folks. <laughs> All right, before we wrap this up, pull up the comments. I want to see what some of the name recommendations were. Right, we're going to give a, a shout-out to a couple good ones. All right, go ahead. Take the mic. You read them. You have your phone. Okay. Uh, Nick gave us Bucko Talk, PNC Park Remarks. Uh, PNC Park is still the name a year from now. But that might work. Uh, Appraise the Jolly Roger, which is a quality pun. I like that one. Uh, JMK88 said, Bucko Blast is a nod to our friend Jason. Uh, I like it, but, you know, that that's being hung from the rafters right now. That's yeah. that's retired. Uh, Corsair Air. couple Pirates Plunder from Stephen J. Smith. <laughs> and then uh, Ruffy. I just love the name Stephen J. Smith. That is a a very good name, yeah. Yeah. And then Ruffian uh, backed you up and said uh, Uncle Larry, not McCutcheon, was the shortstop. Yes, I I did see that one. I did see that one. So shout out, shout out. Who was that? Who gave it? Pull up your phone. One more time. Ruffian 706. Well done. Ruffian, yeah, great job, my man. I appreciate you helping me out there. Uncle Larry was the shortstop. And we are the podcast host. We'll have some more content for you tomorrow on Wednesday and we'll be bringing it we'll be what are we doing infield I think it's infield In, yeah infield preview and a, and a topic to be named later on a podcast to be named later I am Noah Hiles he's Alex Stump and we will see you tomorrow night